Well, tonight we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation, and we are going to finish chapter 4, and we're going to look particularly at verses 8 through 11. Remember from last week, the first eight verses of Revelation 4 reveal to us the throne room scene in heaven as the one who sits on the throne and is ruling there, and we see the flashes of lightning coming from the throne and this magnificent scene of colors and imagery that are around the throne and before the throne. Uh, All of those images to, to drive at a picture that God is active that God is sitting on the throne, He is ruling, He is doing, He sees what is going on in the creation, and He is doing something about it. And so, with those first eight verses, we are left with looking at that picture and being left in awe of, look at what this looks like. Look at what the heavenly realm looks like as we see the 24 elders and the four living creatures and all that is described in their uh, majesty as well as, shall we say, unusual uh, pictures of who they are and what they're doing. Verses 8-11 through cause us to take our eyes off of the throne, which is definitely the centerpiece and the focus of the chapter, and to pay attention to what everybody is doing and what everybody is saying. After examining the throne and seeing God on the throne and seeing His majesty and seeing that He is active... These final few verses reveal some of the characteristics about God. And that's what we see the spiritual beings discussing and talking about in these final few verses. Revelation 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we are left to pay attention now to these characteristics, and tonight we are going to just observe three characteristics that these living creatures and these 24 elders observe, and we're going to spend some time seeing why that is an important characteristic listed here in the heavens. The first one is found there in verse 8 as they describe that the Lord is holy. The words holy, holy, holy. And notice how often these words are stated there in verse 8. It says the four living creatures are there and it says that they are saying these words day and night. They never stop calling out to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I I think that should be interesting to us that this is what is picked for us. And notice that it is stated in triplicate. You'll notice at times that the Scriptures will put things with a double repetition. Uh, Sometimes, well, Jesus will say, Truly, truly, I say to you. Trying to say, 
Pay attention to what I'm about to say. There is some emphasis being given. To put it into triplicate of of this repetition suggests the infinite nature of whatever is being talked about. It's not just simply God is holy, nor is it just simply to say holy, holy, that is pay attention that God is holy. But rather that we are talking about the infinite holiness of God. It is a superlative that is being placed upon Him. This is who He is. And what I think we ought to perhaps raise our eyebrow or consider is why this characteristic above all the other characteristics about God. Why not have the four living creatures say, Love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. Mercy, mercy, mercy is the Lord God Almighty. Grace, grace, grace is the Lord God Almighty. Or anger, anger, anger is the Lord God Almighty. Why this characteristic? Because this is the only characteristic that's put in the triplicate like this. There's no other description of God that is these kind of words with the three descriptions put together like that in that kind of repetition. And so I think that is an interesting thing. Why holiness in terms of God? Now that's what we're going to talk about just for a moment. One of the things that I think is interesting to consider about this description is that this isn't the only time that God's holiness is exuded and described and glorified in the heavens over in Isaiah chapter 6 when you have Isaiah before the throne room of God. Notice what is going on there in verse 2. Above him, speaking of the one who sits on the throne, the Lord. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings and two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. Just to observe right there, that's the same description as the four living creatures we're reading about here in chapter 4. Same characters. Call them seraphim. Call them four living creatures. We still don't know really what they are. You can change the name, but we're still curious. And here's the picture of what they are doing though. Here's what they say. And they called out to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This is the description of God. This is what the spiritual beings are saying. And so we see it with Isaiah in the Old Testament as he in a vision is allowed to go into the throne room of God. Here John is in vision and he sees the same thing as he stands before the throne room of God as the infinite then holiness of God is displayed. One of the things that I would like to take us down with the road of thinking about God's holiness is often when we talk about holy, we often are speaking about sinlessness or perfection. That's typically when we talk about something being holy. In our language, that's often what we mean, is that something is perfect or holy, uh, it is unstained, it is sinless, or something to that degree. And while that is a true characteristic of God, I want to show you that I do not believe that is what is the intention behind the holiness of God that is being described. Remember, holy just simply means something being set apart. It is something that is uniquely different from everything else. And what we have here in Revelation as well as in Isaiah is not the holiness in terms of how great is it that God is perfect and sinless. That's not the focus. The focus is 
He has authority and power like nobody else. He is holy in terms of His power and might and majesty and rule that is unparalleled and unequaled. No one is like God in terms of His power and the authority that He uses. Notice it there in verse 8. Holy, holy, holy what? Is the Lord God Almighty. Not the Lord God of love or perfection or Lord God of sinlessness. Almighty. All-powerful. He is the one who possesses all authority. Same thing back over in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 that we just read. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The hosts are speaking of armies. If we would get away from hosts, they could also translate it armies. The Lord of armies. He is the Lord of power and might and authority. That's the picture. And so it's not just simply saying, well, God is perfect and God is good and God is is sinless and all of that. Rather, the emphasis is that He alone possesses all power. He alone possesses all authority. He alone possesses these things. Put your finger here or ribbon marker in Revelation 4 and turn over to Psalm 99. And I want you to see... There's a full psalm that does the exact same thing in describing the holiness of God. Psalm 99. And I want you as I read it to notice the connection between the holiness of God and the power and the authority of God. And notice how these are consistently tied through this psalm. Psalm 99 verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise Your great and awesome name. Holy is He. The King in His might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. Holy is He. Moses and Aaron were among His priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon His name. They called to the Lord and He answered them. In the pillar of the cloud He spoke to them. They kept His testimonies and the statute that He gave them. O Lord our God, You answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. You see how the psalmist makes all of the same connections. Three times he emphasizes the holiness of God. And he emphasizes there in the first couple of verses, the Lord reigns, the Lord is enthroned, He is exalted among the people, and then he stops and says, holy is the Lord. Because look at what He is. He's enthroned. He rules. He has authority. And then He continues and does more of that. He establishes justice and equity and righteousness. And then He stops again and says, Holy is the Lord because He does these things. And then He goes a little bit further that the Lord gives these laws and He is forgiving, but He executes wrath on those who are doing wrong and then ends it with, Holy is the Lord. Holy is He. 
And so I want you to see that that is the picture behind what the holiness is in Revelation, in Isaiah, also in the Psalms, that this is what it is driving at. That God is utterly separate from all other rulers, all other powers, all other authorities. He is the one in charge and there is no one like Him. And we observe that from time to time, but it is a good reminder to tell ourselves His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His doings are not the way that we would do things. His power is not like ours. His authority is not like ours. And that's what the spiritual beings are praising God for. That's what they continue to praise God and say is, you are so different and you are so powerful and so mighty And that power is so different from any powers that we see on the earth, any rulers that may ever come about, any authorities that ever may exist. Your power and your authority is far above and far different than anything we see on this earth. And so that's how the four living creatures are saying, day and night, without ceasing, constantly praising God for this quality and character that He has. Come back to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. The second quality that we see is also fascinating. Verse 9 tells us a little bit more. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. Stop right there. Whenever the four living creatures give the glory, honor, and thanks. Now how? when's the whenever? How often is that? Day and night, never ceasing. Okay, so it's a very interesting whenever. How about all the time? That's always going on. So whenever the four living creatures are praising God for His holiness, which is constant, here's what else is happening. Verse 10, the 24 elders, now remember we saw them in our last lesson a few verses earlier in chapter 4. Remember, there is one seated on the throne in the middle. There are 24 thrones around the one who is seated on the throne. And on those thrones are 24 elders who are wearing robes in white and they're wearing crowns. We observed last time that we're not terribly sure who they are. There is no explanation about the 24 elders in the book of Revelation. They're just stated as being there. And I just took it at face value with you and said, okay, there's some spiritual beings there and we don't know anything about that. But we do know that they have authority, don't they? You're sitting on a throne and you're wearing a crown. That's a good indicator. You have some power. You have some authority. And so there they sit. There they are 24 elders seated on thrones wearing crowns. When the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist they existed and were created so as the 20 excuse me, as the four living creatures are praising god for his holiness visualize the scene every time that happens the 24 elders get off of their thrones they get down on the ground and they throw their crown before the throne of god 
That's a strange visualization, because I don't know how much time that... I'd get winded. This must be spiritual beings here. You go pick your crown back up, stick it back on, sit on the throne, wait for the poor living creatures to say, holy, 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 throw it back in again, get down, sit back down, do it again. It's a very amazing picture of here are the spiritual beings, and they are so focused on God that that's all they're doing. Think about there's nothing else going on. There's no, and they went over here and took a rest, and they went over here and had a conversation, or they decided to go do this or go do that. This is what they do. The living creatures praise God for His holiness, and the elders are always getting off of the throne and bowing before the one who is on the throne and casting their crown before Him. Why? Number two, the Lord is worthy. The Lord is worthy. As the 24 elders cast their crowns, a picture of them showing that the Lord has all authority. It is a great symbolism that these that appear to have authority because they are sitting on thrones and because they are wearing crowns, what are they doing? But showing their subjection to the one who sits on the throne. By getting off of their throne and kneeling before the one on the throne in the center and taking their crown off and casting it to the center, what are they saying? You're the one that has authority, not us. In fact, that was a frequent image in terms of the secular use of conquering nations. This is something that would happen. Um, uh, I can't think of his first name. Oh, well, Baker Exegetical Commentary. Sorry, Mr. Osborne, I can't think of your first name. Uh, he, quote, he quote says this, In the secular realm, it was common for petitioners to prostrate themselves before the king and kiss the garment. Lesser kings would lay their crowns before the emperor to show their submission to him. Uh, that was just what you did back in that day. If a, ki- a nation conquered you and you were a ruler and they were a ruler and they won, guess what you did? You got off your throne and you bowed the knee and you took your crown off and showed they're the one in charge. And that is the picture that is being described. Only God has all authority. That's what the four living creatures are showing us in His holiness. The holiness of His power and authority. It is different from anybody else, anything else. It is far above anybody in His authority. And now the 24 elders are showing... And the Lord alone is worthy of worship. Only the Lord is worthy of worship. This would have been, I think, especially powerful in that first century day when you had the emperors of Rome declaring themselves first declared of them once they died and then later on as they lived that they were son of God as they claim divinity upon themselves, and as they would desire for people to worship them, here is a picture of, guess who is worthy of such worship? Who is worthy of such praise? Who is worthy of this kind of honor? Nobody on earth. Only the Lord. And I think that is a powerful lesson for us to pay attention to because... No, we are not in a similar circumstance where we have a government that calls upon us to worship some human being. We thank God for that. May that never change. That we can only worship God and none other. As we observed this morning, not all Christians had that ability in the past. 
and still even today, not all Christians have that right. But it reminds us of where our priority and where our attention must always be. The only thing we can worship in our lives is God and no one else. And we must not worship our idols that we have. No, we do not have idols of stone and wood. I am assured of that. But there are many things in this life, in this world, that we pay an awful lot of attention to, that we give priority, that should not receive such a priority. Only God is worthy of that kind of attention. Only God should receive our priority and our concern. And that's what you see going on in the heavenly places. We don't read about the 24 elders going, is there any way we can get a... You know, a ten-minute water break around here. You know, it's kind of enough with the whole worship of God bit. You know, that's all that matters. That's all that's going on. There's nothing else. The priority, the focus, all of the attention is on the one who sits on the throne. And it doesn't matter who else is around. It doesn't matter what else happens. And that must be our same focus. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what we think is important. It doesn't matter what we acquire, what we lose. Whatever we think is so important to us is nothing in terms of our worship and our service to God. That must always be our priority and nothing else. And so often, the worship of God is last on the list. When we have the time, when it's convenient for us, when we care to do it, that's when we will put our focus on God. I'll get around to praying when I have a chance. I'll read the Word of God and maybe sometime. The priority is never on God. The priority is always on everything else in this world. And then we will get to God if we have time today. Maybe I'll have some time tonight for God. Or maybe tomorrow. The priority is never God. We pay attention to everything else as if those things were important. And here is a picture of the throne scene saying, there's nothing important except worshiping God. There is nothing that has a priority except praising God. And what a picture that this is what these spiritual beings do day and night without stopping. Wow. And God is worthy of that. Does that take you back for a minute? Just stop. God deserves that. You know, we often look at our worship to God as if that's some kind of bonus points to God. You know, God's going to be really happy with me. Because, you know, I really put in some extra time this week. He's going to be happy that I was here Sunday morning and Sunday night. As if that gives us an extra check mark on the book. Or, you know, I was ready for Bible class. Or I studied. Or I led a song. Or I preached a sermon. As if that's some sort of, you know, brownie point before God. God deserves it. He's worthy of it. This is not something that we step back and can pat ourselves on the back of, oh, wasn't that good of us that we were doing that? Uh Uh-uh. It's what should have been done. And we are wrong for neglecting the worship of God. What a picture of the throne room of what everybody does is focus on the throne and focus on who He is and why He is worthy. And they sing those praises to Him 
who sits on the throne. Verse 11 tells us number three in his characteristic of why he is worthy. Verse 11, because he is the Creator. He is worthy because he has created all things. This is a very simple, logical thought process. If he created everything, then he deserves worship. That's that's just kind of what verse 11 lays out. Lord, you have all authority, you have all power, you have all might, and you are worthy of worship because you created everything. And that's why everything worships you. And that's why you will read phrases like, Every knee will bow, and you read phrases like all the creation being in subjection because God created everything, and therefore everybody must submit to Him. Everybody must worship Him. And so that is the picture that is laid before us, is God is worthy because He made you and He made me. You are here because of God. You are here with a purpose to praise and worship God. Did you know that our purpose in this world is not to do the very best you can and make some name of yourself and be sure to make a lot of money, acquire a lot of possessions, and make sure you die with more than your neighbor? That's not why you're here. You're not here to acquire more things. You're not here to make the best of yourself. That's what's really very strange what's going on in religion today. That religion is being turned into making you a better you. Friends, worship's not about you. It's about God. And it is about a sole central focus on God and no one else. We have some great tangible benefits that because of God we have better lives as we conform to the image of His Son. But we're not here as if this is some great self-help book to change us into some good people that we could pat ourselves on the back as aren't we better than everybody else. It's just not what this is about. This is all about God. We are here for God. That's why we exist. God made everything for Him. He doesn't need us. You know, can you imagine, you know, God sitting around one day after, you know, how long do you want to say eternity's gone by before he decides to create us? You know, billions upon billions multiplied exponentially by billions. How long did eternity go by, you know, before you You know what? We're getting bored up here. We ought to make some humans. You think that's how that ran? No. Not on the slightest. He's complete and perfect before the foundations of the world. We exist for Him. We exist to serve Him. Our purpose is to worship Him and serve Him, to do as He asks. And we do that, and He's worthy of that, and He deserves it, as they point out, because you created all things. You created everything. And then he adds to that at the very end of verse 11, and you sustain all things. By your will they existed... And they're created. The Expositor's Bible Commentary pointed out the the rendering could very well be this way. Because of your will, they continually exist and come into being. The point is, all of this continues to exist because of God's will. At a moment's notice, He could shut all of this down. And it's the end. He has that power and that authority. 
We think we're in control. We think we're in charge as if we've got all of this about ourselves. Oh, God's in charge. God is ruling. He created all things and He sustains all things by His will. And I believe that verse 11 is driving at for us then a a, a bit of thanksgiving. Because it's by God's will we are here. It's by God's will any of this was ever in existence. And we are thankful to God that we have the opportunity to serve and worship such a great God as He. And that's the picture that the 24 elders leave us with. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our service. He deserves that of every bit of us, our very being, our very lives. So what I want to conclude with is just two thoughts for tonight. And I hope you'll reflect upon this first, first one for a minute. I, I made it lengthy on the screen, but I'll just I'll say it to you so you don't have to feel like you have to read that much. If we're not interested or enjoy praising God and worshiping God now, why do we think that we're going to be in heaven where all that we see are the created beings praising and worshiping God. If you don't like it now, why do you think you're going to be there? Because that's what it's all about. And to not like speaking to God, to not like singing, to not like reading the Scriptures, to not like meditating on our Lord, I don't know what to tell you except if you don't like it now, you're not going to be there because He's not going to have you there not liking it. If that's not what you want to do, if that's not what you want to be doing, if that's not where you want to be and do it for eternity, that's not where you're going to be. And for us to despise worship, to despise serving, to despise prayer, to not enjoy worship, That is a very big problem because that's what heaven is. We have this idea that's always fun to, you know, we we kid, and I know we're kidding, but we need to make sure we know we're kidding. That, you know, heaven is not that you can play tennis and not pull a hamstring, or, you know, you can shop and your credit card never maxes out, or, you know, we have all these kind of crazy sayings about, you know, heaven's going to be, you know, football 24 7, the Chargers will always win every game. You know, go, that's got to be heaven because that'll never happen here. That's what we do. We picture heaven in some way that it's about us again. It's not about us. Heaven is completely about God. And it's about the privilege of the opportunity to be before the one who sits on the throne and give Him the praise that He deserves. The opportunity to be there and to be allowed to bend our knee before Him face to face and say, You are worthy and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That will be great. Number two, because He's holy, we have to submit. He has all authority, all rule, and all power, unparalleled and unequaled. Will you not serve Him? 
This is your opportunity tonight to turn away from your sins and serve Him fully. Give your life to Jesus completely. Serve Him with all of your heart. Submit to Him completely. He is the Lord and He has all authority. Whether we like it or not, He created us and He has charge over everything. And we can bend the knee now and submit to His will and serve Him and worship Him. And He says if we faithfully do that, we have the promise of a crown of eternal life. If we choose not to, He tells us, I'll make you bend the knee at judgment. You will bow, but you will not spend your eternity with God. You will be separated eternally in punishment. Make the choice now to submit today. And I pray that we will be ignited by the picture of His holiness, that we will serve Him because He deserves it of us, not that we're doing God any favors. We pray that you come forward this very evening to serve Him. If you are ready to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the water is ready, everything is prepared. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?